I'm going to read before Charlie comes to preach from uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to read from the message, so uh, you can follow it in the books if you want, but I'm going to read from the, the message. How blessed is God, and what a blessing he is. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. He settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved son. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross. We're a free people, free of penalties and punishments, chalked up by all our misdeeds. And not just barely free either, abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it out sorry, he set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him, everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth. It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for his glorious living, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. It's in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, this message of your salvation, found yourself home free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. This signet from God is the first installment on what's coming, a reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us, a praising and glorious life. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you. I'm just trying to work out whether signed, sealed, and delivered can be a worship song now. We now have to work on the lyrics slightly, but there we go. Uh, Good morning. I'm Charlie. I'm um, the other minister here. It's really good to have you with us this morning. Uh, This is the last of our sermon series looking at Jesus as a wisdom teacher. So we're wrapping up this short series today. We may revisit it sometime in the future, but this is the last one before we turn our attention towards Christmas. And uh, just something, I'm sure you all know this and you don't need reminding, but I find it helpful every now and again. You know, Jesus Christ... Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's not like first name and surname. Jesus Christ, Charlie Ingram, you know, Jane Tandy. Actually, it's, it's more Jesus the Christ. Christ was a title that was given to Jesus by those that knew him, those that walked with him, those that experienced what it was like to be around him. If you'd have walked with Jesus, if you'd have been around at the time he was walking, people would have referred to him probably as Jesus of Nazareth. 
that was a common designation, or Jesus, son of Joseph, Jesus bar Joseph, but not Jesus the Christ. Yet there was something in the way that he taught, something in the way he told stories, parables, and guided people. There was something in the things that he did, And there was obviously something through his death and his resurrection that caused his followers to muse and wonder, who is this person that we have met? And then eventually, several years later, to decide that actually this is the Christ that we met. We met Jesus the Christ. Now, this last uh, few months, we've been looking at Jesus as a wisdom teacher, looking at some of his teachings, his sayings, Uh, Love your enemies. You must become like little children. A tree is known by its fruit. It's easier for the camel to go through an eye of a needle. Take up your cross and follow me. And they've been good things. I've really enjoyed getting to grips with these passages. And there's just some fantastic proverbial type sayings of Jesus that I've really enjoyed getting to grips with. And Jesus was undoubtedly a fantastic wisdom teacher. But at the end of this series, we do have to say that he was more than that. He wasn't less than that. Because his teachings stand and are superb and shape us even now. But actually through, and Andy alluded to it last week, talking about the wisdom of the cross, through the the death and resurrection, Jesus is something more than simply a wisdom teacher. We have uh, have four Gospels, four accounts of Jesus' life in our Bible. Uh, All of the readings that we've been using to look at Jesus as a wisdom teacher have been from the first of those, Matthew's Gospel. Uh, We've been looking at the sayings of Jesus from Matthew's Gospel. But there are three others that together we call the Synoptic Gospels. And again, I guess you know this, but it's a helpful reminder from time to time. Matthew, Mark and Luke. We call them the Synoptic Gospels from the word synopsis. Because they paint a picture, they tell a story, they provide a synopsis of the life of Jesus. Now, they're each written from a particular perspective to a particular group. So they tell that story in a particular way. But actually, all three of them together, put together, tell us this story of the life of Jesus, the synoptic Gospels. But there is a fourth Gospel, the Gospel of John. And John is different to the synoptic Gospels. John is profoundly different to the Synoptic Gospels when you read it. It contains some of the historical life of Jesus, but it's not primarily interested in telling this as, uh, as the story of Jesus' life. It's more, this is who this person was. This is what this is about. It's, uh, it's more theological. It's certainly more mystical, if you've come across that word. Some of his language is harder. It's harder to grasp. He's trying to explain something that is, at the end of the day, a a, a large and profound mystery that is itself beyond language, but he must try. So he's trying to find the language to, to say who they've met in this person of Jesus, the Christ. And it's John's gospel that begins, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning is how John starts his gospel. Different to the other ones. No birth narrative. This, this prologue, in the beginning. And I wonder, rhetorical question. Miles. Yeah. <laughs> Nicely done. Um, in the beginning, what does that remind you of? Actually, we've heard it elsewhere, haven't we? In the beginning, Genesis. 
John is trying to call us back to a much bigger vision of who this Jesus is by taking us back to, to before time, to in the very beginning. And in the very beginning was the word, John says, and the word was with God. This is who he's, this is who he's trying to speak of. This is who he's trying to explain. And you know, words have power, don't they? I love you, Sarah, just in case there was any worry. <laughs> um, Andy, you did a really crap job this week. I can't stand you. Actually, he didn't. But words have power. I hate you. I wish you would. Thank you for your goodness your kindness to me. Thank you for your love. Please forgive me. Words are powerful. And the divine word is perhaps divinely powerful. The Greek word that John uses is the word logos. You knew that. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God. And it's a slippery word that's quite difficult to translate directly, actually. Because it, it means a number of things, and people translate it in different ways. So across Greek antiquity, across the way the word um, Logos is used in the Greek language, sometimes it's ground, plea, opinion, expectation, word, that's the one we're used to. The speech, the account, the reason, the proportion, the discourse, the blueprint... And it's kind of all of those, to some extent. In the beginning was the reason. The blueprint is perhaps one of my favourite translations of that word. In the beginning was reason. In the beginning was wisdom. And actually, one, this was new to me. But I wonder if John, when he was calling us back to in the beginning, wasn't only thinking of Genesis, but also had this uh, Proverbs chapter 8 in mind. Proverbs chapter 8 is speaking of wisdom, lady wisdom, the wisdom that exists in and through all things. And it says this, the Lord created me, that's wisdom, at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of long ago, ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there were no depths I was brought forth, when there were no springs abounding with water. And it goes on to talk about the creation of wisdom and wisdom in the creation of the world. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He, he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. As well as calling us back to Genesis 1, I wonder if John is not calling us back to this passage and making a connection between the divine word, the logos, and the wisdom, the blueprint, that which was with God at the beginning, that is in, through all, and in all. Um, just in case you think this is a madcap idea I've dreamt up, um, I came up, uh, I found an, Andy, uh, a, a, an article on Andy's desk this week. He'd picked it up for the internet for one of the earlier sermons. I thought, oh, that, that looks quite helpful for today. Written by Father Luis Rosilio. 
a Catholic educator. He says this, among all the strands of Jewish theology, it is the theology found in the wisdom literature. Remember, that's the books we've been looking at, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job. It's the wisdom literature which best serves to the specific vision of Christ in the New Testament. The first Christian theologians saw clearly the linear development of the personified creating wisdom with the reality they encountered in the incarnate word. And the incarnate word is just a a fancy theologian's way of saying Jesus. That actually the New Testament writers saw this connection between this personified wisdom of Proverbs, lady wisdom, who we should go to for counsel and advice and guidance, who is in all and through all and the person of Jesus, the Logos. So I wonder if we might, this might be legitimate. In the beginning was wisdom, and wisdom was with God, and wisdom was God. And all things came to be through this wisdom. We might say the inner reality of God became manifest as the outer world, in the outer world as the eternal Christ. No one thing came to be except through this wisdom and plan, and all that came to be had life in him. Well, now it's becoming personalised. This great Christ mystery since the beginning of time now becomes specific in the body and person of Jesus of Nazareth. The wisdom has become personified and visible as a human being. Jesus, the Christ. Of course, at this point, we have to say we're, we're, you know, you can see some of you scratching your heads and furrowing your brows, and perhaps that's a right response because we're at the limit of what language can do. We are talking about that which was before creation, the, the, the wisdom, the reason, the, the logos that finds flesh in the person of Jesus the Christ. The eternal Christ becomes embodied in this person, Jesus. And it's, it's trying to capture a mystery. It's like two, trying to, two dogs trying to bark at one another, explain the internet. It really is. But it's not unique in the New Testament, you see, because Paul takes the idea forwards. He does it in Colossians 1. He does it in Ephesians 1, the reading we had today. I mean, this just uh, verses 8 to 10. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. Just a few observations about this passage. I love the fact it talks about wisdom and will. I love the fact it talks about God's pleasure that this is for God's pleasure. When we imagine God, do we imagine God doing things for his pleasure? I love that image. But actually, it's these couple of words that I want to pick up on today, to gather, or gather up all things in Christ. This phrase, to gather up all things, that one day this Christ who was before, who's become incarnate in Jesus, one day all things will be gathered up in him, in the Christ. That phrase in Greek is one word. It's one word that this guy obviously likes an awful lot because he's made himself a t-shirt with it on. Now, it would be a killer if you're playing Scrabble. (laughs) 19 letters long, and I'm going to try my best with my very basic 
beginner's Greek that I had to do to pronounce it for you. Anakafaleiosisthai. Anakafaleiosisthai. Anyway, something like that. Andy, can you do a better job? No. Okay. <laughs> but actually, it's a really important word. And, and you know, I don't normally like to go into Greek words when I'm preaching, possibly because I don't really understand them. But actually, you can kind of glaze over, but actually, there's so much in this and so much good stuff packed into this Greek word. One of the ways it was used in antiquity was to sum up. And you see several of the translations that things will be summed up in Christ. That's one of the ideas. So, Andy, what does that equal? Oh, I thought he'd done it in his head by now. So, anyway, 325 minus 19 plus 476 minus 236 minus 126 plus 356 minus 12. You can sum that up as 764. <laughs> All of the positives. And all of the negatives, the addition and the subtraction, we sum up. We anakaphaliusisthai as 764. That's one way it was used. But actually, that's not the whole picture. If we break the word down a little bit, ana is kind of, um, it, it intensifies something in Greek. It's a bit like very. It adds heat, it adds energy to a word. So it's kind of cueing you up that this is an important idea. This is, this is very whatever follows. A kafale means head. So it's to give it a new head, to sum things up, to give them a new head. And that new head, all things find their new head in Christ. We might think of it like this, as a, a new organising principle. Now, I realise that's quite tricky to get our heads around, but actually it's something we do all the time. We just don't realise it. You have a few friends around for a meal. You're sharing a meal together. You're, you're through the starters. You're onto the first glass of wine and you're sharing the meal together, perhaps as you did on the Hospitality Sunday a few weeks ago. And you begin to share stories about life and, and things that have happened to you and maybe you're getting to know one another. And you know, you could tell a story, you know, there was actually this one time when I took up so-and-so and you know, I was great. I was fantastic. I bossed it completely. And then there was this other time when I was so much better than that, I nailed that completely. You know, because I'm fantastic, really. Actually, mm, thank you, Mars. Um, <laughs> Those aren't the stories that we tell around a dinner table. Actually, the stories we tell are, you remember there was this, there was this time when it all went south. It all went wrong. But actually, we, you know, we, we learned this, or we grew through it, or we, this thing happened, and then it changed, and then it was transformed, and actually the kids were all right in the end. What you are doing is you are anakathylusislying that story. You're giving it a new head. You're giving it a new organising principle. You're taking something that happened and you're, you're retelling it in such a way that it has a new centre. Does that make sense? A few years ago we went camping. This was our car. 
Six bikes, a top box, a trailer, all the camping equipment, the cooker, the tent, the table, the whole lot. I was packing the car in the morning and actually trying to fit everything in, I had to get Ben in and pack him into the back corner of the car and then continue to pack around him (laughs) to give you some idea of where we were going. Um, Duvets, pillows, everything was on top of them. We were just packed into this car to head off to France to go camping for a a couple of weeks. And we, you know, we, we, it was a 12, 14-hour drive, maybe, with teenagers packed in a car who couldn't move. They're good kids, but you can imagine what that's like. It got a little bit fraught. It got a little bit, argu- uh, you know, it got argumentative at times. And every time we needed to get out because somebody needed the loo, it's like, do you really need to so unpack everything? Prize them out the back of the car and pack them all back in again. We arrived at the campsite just as it was getting dusk, uh, dusky, uh, ready to, to set up, and it was pouring with rain. We pulled in. The, the, the car park was, some, was a short walk to where we were camping, but it was pouring with rain. The kids had just about lost it with each other by that point and needed to go separate directions to calm down. And Sarah was in tears. <laughs> and what have we done? Everybody hates everybody hates each other. So I kind of I kind of soldiered on, got everything packed. The problem was you had to get everything else out. I hadn't packed it in a sensible order, so I couldn't get to the tent. Because that was at the bottom of everything. So you have to unpack it all to get to the tent to then put that up in the rain. And where are you gonna put all this stuff that's now getting wet? Anyway, you picture it. We eventually kind of crawled into bed. I think I got most of the guy ropes up. We were dry. And I collapsed in a heap at about 11.30 that night. And, we've, and, and we went on, and the holiday was good. Later on that holiday, that same holiday, we decided we'd head for a walk up, a, a, up to a castle that was on the hill opposite. And we set out for a walk. And we, we, it was a warm day. We knew it was going to be a warm day, but we mistimed this walk. And ended up heading out right in the middle of the hot sun. Absolutely in the middle of the baking day sun with nothing like enough water. Then it turned out that the path up to the castle that we could see actually turned out to be a little bit near a cliff edge, particularly for six and seven-year-olds. So we're kind of waking our way along, and everyone, and, and I, I'm busy going, listen, just round the next corner. <laughs> Nothing to worry about. We'll get a drink when we get there. And, of course, the place at the top's closed, isn't it? <laughs> and it's roasting hot. And, and we get up there, and, and I have to say, you know, we made the best of it. We put a shiny face. And it was a lovely view from the top. But that evening, I was not the most popular person in the campsite. <laughs> Having persuaded everyone that this 45-minute walk, three hours, was going to be good fun. But now, when we get back together with the friends we went on holiday with, and we sit around a table, and you talk about happy memories of times together, oh, do you remember that walk we went on? <laughs> Well, that ridiculous walk you took us on. Oh, another one of Charlie's silly walks. Oh. Just a few minutes, you said. At the time, but later, anacathalusifying the story, giving it a new organising centre, a new head, it becomes a different story. It becomes transformed. Um, I met with a friend the other day um, who's going through it, who's struggling, who's really in the depths of dark depression. And we sat over a coffee 
and we talked together. And I said, you know, it doesn't last forever. Because I've been there. A few years ago, I walked that path, and it was tough, and it's, it's hard. And it feels hopeless. And it feels like the river is a torrent, and it's about to wash you away. But if you hang in there and keep walking, you will find the other side of the river. You will find the other side of the riverbank. Your feet will touch ground again, and you will slowly emerge. I, I told that story because I wanted that person to have hope. To know that actually where they felt they were at the moment, other people had been there. That I knew something of what it felt like. And that actually there was hope, and that it wasn't as dark as he felt it was. That story, uh, I mean, back 12 years ago, when I was in the middle of that, it was a dark period, it was difficult, it was painful. But 12 years later, that story still, still feels painful, but it has a new purpose, a new organising centre, a new head. And I was able to anachalothistise, whatever that word is, this story, and give it a new organising principle, and say, actually, it won't last forever. So there you are. One Greek word. And all of us hit those things in life, don't we? Um, I mean, I, I went to a whole series of weddings about 25 years ago. I now seem to be... It's divorces that are on the cards at the moment. Or people being diagnosed with cancer. People that I know that are struggling with that. Or, or redundancy or the business that went south. These things happen. They, they happen to us in life. Life has no guarantees that these things won't. But as we go through them, we have a hope. And it's not a vain hope. It's a hope that one day, these things will be swept up in Christ, given meaning, given purpose, given a new organising centre. And we have a choice. You know, we, we go through these things and they are hard. And they can make us bitter or they can make us better. And actually, this Christ that we've been looking at, the wisdom of this Christ, this Christ who was before all things, who is incarnate in the person of Jesus and who all of creation is heading towards, who one day he will sum up, summarise, recapitulate is the word used in the Latin translation. Gather it up under a new organising head. And the same things we do with those broken stories of our past. We give them a new organising centre. Christ will do the same thing with the whole of history. He will wrap it up in a one or new organising centre that is himself. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and on earth, all things. 
this Christ, this wisdom teacher we've encountered is more than simply a wisdom teacher. It's wisdom itself who one day will gather all things up and give them a new meaning, purposeful centre. And that, my friends, is the Christian hope of the Christ wisdom. Let's pray. Father God, as we go through the challenges of being alive, the ups and downs of life, help us to find hope in Jesus the Christ, who was and is and is to come. Who was there at the beginning, is embodied in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, and who one day all things will find their head and their meaning and their purpose in. And one day he will take all of this, all of this story of our lives, this story of creation, this story of nations, this stories of people, and he'll wrap them up and he will anakephaleusisthize them, whatever that word is. He will give them a new head, a new organizing center in him and will be gathered up together with him in glory. In Jesus' name, amen.